Bibles now, if you would please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Gospel of John, chapter 20. I told you earlier this year, three months ago on Easter, that we would celebrate Easter twice this year. By Easter of this year, we weren't quite far enough along in our study of the Gospel of John. And we've been studying, of course, John verse by verse, chapter by chapter for about a year and a half now. And when we got to Easter, we weren't quite far enough along to talk about the resurrection. And so I had to preach a message where we just kind of got a a view of coming attractions. I skipped over and came all the way to this 20th chapter, and I preached a message about the resurrection of Christ. And today we're going to come back to the 20th chapter again. We're going to talk about it one more time. Now, in that message back in April, we talked about the evidence for the resurrection. And today, as we celebrate Easter one more time, uh, we've come through several weeks of study, of the study of the cross. We've talked about the tomb. And now, in the course of our study, it is time for Jesus to come out of that grave. Now, this is the third part of the gospel story. The first is how that Jesus died, and then how he was buried. And then, of course, the third part of the gospel is the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, how that Christ died, how that he was buried, and then how he arose again on the third day. Well, the cross and the tomb look like victory for the devil. The devil surely must have been looking at that and thinking, I've won. He's in the tomb. He can't get out. I'm not going to be bothered with him anymore. And the devil thought that he had the victory. But Jesus, as we know, did come out of the grave. And whether it's Easter Sunday morning or this Sunday morning or any Sunday morning of the year, that's proof that Jesus arose from the grave and the devil is reminded over and over and over again that Jesus won the victory. Now, Satan lost the battle at the cross and at the tomb. And if he's going to have his day, it's going to have to be another day. But we do know this, praise the Lord, that we know that there is another day coming and the devil doesn't win. As someone has so aptly said, we've read the back of the book and we know who wins, and that's Jesus Christ. Well, today we come to this 20th chapter, and we're going to look at the resurrection from a different perspective. We're going to talk about this, the emotions that the disciples had during this time of Jesus' death and in the tomb and the resurrection. And the crucifixion and the tomb were really a roller coaster ride of emotions. We're going to look at this chiefly today through the eyes of Mary Magdalene, a disciple who loved Jesus very much. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you'd stand with me, please. We have quite a few uh, verses to read from John chapter 20. We'll start with verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter... And to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, remember that's John's way of describing himself, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, again that's John, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. 
Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. And there John is telling us he's the first disciple to recognize that Jesus arose from the dead and the first to believe. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending him into the world to die for our sins. Lord, as we contemplate the resurrection today, may we see that you arose for our justification. You arose for our salvation. And I pray, Lord, that there might be someone here today who would look into your face and they would see you and know that you come out of that grave. You are alive and you live forevermore and you are our Savior. Bless in this service and this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This was the first Easter Sunday morning. We've been celebrating Easter now for nearly 2,000 years. And whenever we think about Easter, we're always joyful because of that. We know exactly what happened. We know the whole story. But when Mary and these other disciples came to the tomb on this first Easter Sunday morning, they didn't yet know the whole story of what had happened there. Now, Mary was about to find out. She didn't understand the whole story. But she, along with the other disciples at this point, were feeling nothing but grief. They were sorrowing over the fact that the Lord had died. Well, we know what causes grief. Anything, anytime that we lose something, we have a loss in our life, that can cause us to grieve. Some people, when they lose their job, they may grieve, or when they have health issues, they grieve over that. And certainly we do know this, that when a loved one dies, a parent, a child, or perhaps a spouse is to die, we grieve over that. We're sorrow, sorrowing over that. Well, during this particular time, Mary was sorrowful. The disciples were sorrowful. And especially as we look at Mary, we see this great grief that she had in her heart because of the death of Jesus. Now, today I want to talk to you about four stages of emotions that were apparent as we look at the resurrection story. I think the first stage that we can see here is a stage of confusion. At first, they were very confused about what had happened. I believe that the first question that must have come to Mary's mind as she went to the tomb is what exactly is going on? What's happened here? And she didn't know. 
Mary went to the tomb, and she noticed when she got there, she approached and she noticed that the stone had been rolled away. In the book of Mark, it tells us that Mary had come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. She fully expected that when she got there, she would have to have some help to roll the stone away. There was no way that she could get in to apply the burial spices to his body. And so she fully expected when she got there, she would see the stone in place and she would have to have some help in order to get into the tomb. But when she came there, she saw the stone was already moved. It was gone. And so now she's in a very confused state. So she hurriedly left the tomb and she went back to find the other disciples. She went and she found Peter and John and she told them that something had happened. Something's wrong here. The stone's gone. The body has been moved. They've taken our Lord someplace else and we don't know where they've taken him. Well, she didn't know. Who would have taken him? Was it the Roman soldiers? Was it the Jewish leaders? Did they take the body of Jesus? And you can almost hear this anger in her voice as she comes to the disciples and say, the body's gone, he's not there. And so her first reaction was one of shock. What's going on here? Why has this happened? And I think that many times that we start out the same way. We may react in the same way. When we find out that something terrible has happened, when some issue takes place in our lives and we don't know what it's about and we're confused, when we hear something's bad, We might react in anger. Why did this happen to me? Why did the hospital do this? Why didn't the doctor try something else? Why didn't that person stop at that stop sign? And we're confused about it. Sometimes we even get angry at God. God, why did you let it happen? Why did this happen to me? And in this confused state, Mary appears to be angry. And she tells Peter and John about the missing body. But as we know, Mary didn't yet know the whole story. And so when she found out the body was gone, she ran and told Peter and John. They both started towards the tomb. They ran very quickly. And they discovered there some things that Mary did not yet know. They discovered that the empty tomb wasn't quite empty. Now here's what we see first, that the empty tomb was actually filled with evidence. On Easter of this year, we talked about the evidence that was in the tomb and Whatever you may think about the resurrection of Christ, you simply cannot deny the evidence. You have to consider all the evidence. And an honest seeker trying to find out what the Bible says and trying to find out about the resurrection of Christ, he has to look at the evidence that the Scriptures show. What is the evidence? Well, the first one is that the stone was moved. I mean, you have to look at the stone. What happened to the stone? Who moved it? Now, when Mary went to the entrance of the grave, it's no longer there. Somebody had moved it. And so if you really want to study this out, if you want to find out, then determine who was it that actually moved that stone. We find in the book of Matthew that he says that an angel moved it. In those days, they would take a huge round stone that was sort of like a cartwheel, and this would be set in a groove at the entrance of the tomb, and they would roll that stone over the entrance of a tomb, and then they would seal around it with mortar. Well, it wasn't any small feat for anybody to move that stone. Somebody rolled it back. Now it's probably lying on its side. Somebody moved the stone. Not so Jesus could get out. We know that. But so that we could look in. So we could see what's there. Well, what else was there? Well, the grave clothes were still there. This was not the scene of a grave robbery. What we find here are some very carefully prepared actions. The grave clothes are very neatly placed. 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes had been applied 
to the body of Jesus and putting on those grave clothes. Remember last week we talked about that with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Very carefully as they wound those strips of linen around the body of Jesus, they inserted all the spices and aloes. One hundred pounds of those had been placed on the body of Jesus. But when they came to the tomb, they found out that these grave clothes were not carelessly torn off. Now, if someone had come and, come and taken the body as they suspected, then why were the grave clothes lying there neatly and in order? How would they get those grave clothes off of that body without tearing it completely to shreds? But that's not what they found. They found the body's gone, but the grave clothes are still lying there in the shape of the body that was there. Well, enemies of Christ say that, well, some, someone came and stole the body. They may say that the enemy stole the body. Well, we have to ask the question, how did they get it out of those grave clothes? How was that possible? And what enemy stole it? What would be the purpose of stealing the body? I mean, just as soon as the disciples began to preach about Christ rising from the dead, as soon as they said that, somebody would produce the body. They'd say, it's not true, right? Here's his body. But that never happened. Some people say, well, if not the enemies of Christ, then it was his friends who stole the body. Well, if that's true, then what did they gain by it? We do know this, that every, every one of the apostles, except the apostle John, died a martyr's death. And don't you think that one of those people, one of the 500 who said that they saw the resurrected body of Jesus, don't you think that at least one of them would have recanted their story? when they were tortured, when they faced certain death for their beliefs, don't you think that at least one of them would said, well, we actually took the body, and we know where that body is. But not one of them changed their story. So you have to come face to face to the evidence here when you think about the resurrection. The stone is moved, and the grave clothes are still there. Well, there's something else that the disciples saw. The empty tomb was not quite empty because also the tomb was filled with angels. Mary looked into the tomb and she saw an angel there. You know, it's remarkable that one night, many, many years before this, that on a Judean hillside just outside of Bethlehem, there were angels who came and they announced the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now here in his death, angels tell a heavenly story. They say, he's not here. He's risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, before you walk away from that tomb, if you're a skeptic about what happened, before you walk away from the tomb, take a look back. Look back one more time and see the evidence that's there. There's evidence from both heaven and earth's perspective that Jesus did, in fact, arise from the grave. But first we see there's a stage of confusion here. What happened? What's going on? Then that stage moved on to the second one. The second stage is crying. From confusion to crying, we see it in verse number 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. In the Bible, there are two words that are used for crying. One is the sense of subdued and quiet whimpering, a soft tear that comes rolling down your cheek. But here we find a much stronger word is used. And the word that's used here for crying is to sob loudly, to heave with sorrow, to wail as you cry. Why was she crying? Well, we know why. If you've ever gone through grief, if you've ever lost a loved one, you know why she was crying. When you lose someone like that, it tears your heart out. 
And so here we see Mary crying about this. Mary loved Jesus. Her faith might have been weak right now. Her hope might have been gone because she didn't know exactly what happened. But her love was still there. Her love had not been diminished. The Bible tells us that, that faith and hope, those are great things. But the greatest of all is love. And so here we see Mary's love is not diminished at all. She loves the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we see another amazing thing here. She turned and she looked at someone. She saw someone and she thought it was the gardener. Well, actually it wasn't. It was Jesus, but she didn't know that just then. So she turned to this this person that she thought was the gardener. And she says, where have you taken him? She's crying and she says, where have you taken him? And I'll go get him. Think about that. How, how, How would she go get him? I mean, how much did Mary weigh? 100 pounds? 125? 140? How was she going to go get that body and bring it back? Well, of course she couldn't. But she wasn't thinking about that at all. The only thing that was in her mind right now is the sorrow, the deep grief that she has because Jesus is not there. But Jesus did something. When he saw her sorrow and he saw the weeping, At that very moment, Jesus revealed himself to her. And Jesus teaches us here two very important things about sorrow. First, we learn that Jesus wants us to face our sorrows. In verse number 15, woman, he says, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Who are you looking for? And the significant part of that verse is because there are two very important questions here. Why are you crying? And he knew, of course, why she was crying But Jesus wanted her to admit the point of her pain. Next question he asked, who are you looking for? And this was such an important question. Where are you going? What is it that you want? Who are you seeking? And friends, all of us here, we need to learn this. Before God can ever do with you what he wants to do, you've got to figure out just what it is that you're looking for. What do you want out of life? Is it money? Is that what you're seeking? Pleasure and enjoyment? Is that what you'd like to have out of life? All of us are carrying some kind of a burden. All of us have problems in our life, and Jesus just wants us to admit what that burden is. He wants to know what the pain is, and then he asks us the question, who are you looking for? What are you looking for in your life? Well, Mary, of course, is looking for the right thing. She's seeking the right person. And if you're looking for love in all the wrong places, you're going to have a very sorrowful life. If the thing that you're looking for is money and you think that's going to satisfy you, if what you're looking for is pleasure and enjoyment and that will satisfy you in life, it won't. The only thing that ever satisfies a person is the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That is lasting satisfaction. So Mary's looking for the right thing. And then once we faced our sorrows, Jesus wants to free us from our sorrows. We might think as we read this that Mary is the one who's the honest seeker here. Mary's the one who's doing the most searching. But it really wasn't Mary who's doing the seeking. She came, she had pain and Jesus came looking for her in her pain. Now Jesus had already come out of the grave. Jesus could have moved on from here by now. He could have been doing something else. But Jesus knew that Mary was coming to the grave. He knew that she was sorrowful. She had a burden on her heart. And so Jesus was right there. He was waiting for because he wanted to take that burden away. So she turned to him, not knowing who he was. And she said, if you've moved him, tell me where you've moved him. I'll go get him. Just tell me where. But Jesus wasn't very far away at all. He was right there. 
And what Jesus wanted to do was break through her confusion, break through her crying, and that's what he did. And he did it when he called her name. Now, there's just something very special about the way that he called her name. At first, she didn't recognize him, but when she heard her name, when she heard him speak, she knew who he was. When a loved one calls your name, you recognize the voice. And didn't Jesus say, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me? And so in the midst of her sorrow, he looked for her, and he called her by name. There may be someone here this morning, you come to church today, and you're looking for Jesus. You're looking for something else in your life. Maybe you've got a burden, perhaps you have a problem, don't know where you're going to turn next. And so you came here looking for an answer, looking for Jesus. I want you to know something. Jesus brought you here. Jesus brought you here because he knows the point of your pain. He knows exactly what's wrong with you. He knows every burden that you have. And so Jesus brings you here. Don't you know the Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knows all about it. Later, Isaiah said, he bore our grief and he carried our sorrows. And that's the kind of person that Jesus is. He carries the burdens of sinners. And Jesus is able to do that because his shoulders are wide. He's strong. He can carry your burdens. And so what Jesus does, he offers this. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you have a burden today, the place to go is to Jesus He's the one who can take care of that burden. He's looking for you today because Jesus wants to free you from the burden that you have. So if it's a burden of sin, if you don't know him as your Savior, Jesus has brought you here today so you could hear the message that I'm preaching so you can come to know Jesus as the Savior. Well, Mary moves on. She goes from confusion and crying to the next stage. And the third stage that we see here is change. Things are different now. She came in sorrow, but Jesus changed that sorrow. And things were different after the resurrection. Things will never be the same again because of the resurrection. I want you to notice how things are different now. First of all, Jesus was different in appearance. He looked different to her. How do I know that? She didn't recognize him. She didn't know who he was. She thought he was the gardener. On that very same day, there were two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appeared to them. And Jesus walked with them. He joined in with their conversation. They were discussing all the events of the the crucifixion and the burial in the tomb. And Jesus was standing there or walking along with them, talking with them, and they didn't recognize who Jesus was. Now, I don't know exactly how Jesus was different. He was in the same body. It was a resurrected body, but they didn't know him. But what I do know about this is they had to accept the change. There's something different, and they had to accept the change. So not only is he different in appearance, but Jesus was also different in relationship. Now here we see Mary cannot hold on to Jesus. She can't touch him. Before the resurrection, you might say that Jesus and the disciples were bosom buddies. Remember at the Last Supper, the Bible says that John leaned on Jesus' breast. They were very close. Physically, they were very close. Mary could touch him before, but here, as she falls to his feet to grab hold on him, to worship him, Jesus says, don't touch me. Various explanations are given why Jesus said that. Most likely what he's saying is, don't hold on to me, don't cling to me. 
And the reason he says it is because now the relationship is different. Now it's not a relationship of physical intimacy. We find here a relationship of spiritual intimacy. Things have changed. In verse number 17, he told Mary, Go tell my brethren, tell them, I'm going back to the Father. Have you ever noticed that that is the very first time in the Scriptures that Jesus called the disciples, my brethren? Before they were disciples, they're called followers, they're called servants. But now, after the resurrection, they don't have the same relationship any longer. It's a spiritual relationship. And this is one that's so much better because now Jesus will no longer be absent from them. The spiritual relationship will be far better than what they ever had before. In those few days when Jesus was in the tomb, the physical presence of Jesus was gone from them. They were in despair, their sorrow. The physical presence of Jesus is no longer with us. But you remember, Jesus made a promise. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And the Holy Spirit will fill you. And the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And that's the Spirit of Christ. And the fellowship is always constant. There'll never be separation for a child of God. So Jesus is teaching a spiritual relationship far better. It's far better than a physical one. Do you know what will happen when you finally do see Jesus? We've been waiting a long time. Though some of you have been saved for a long time, you've been waiting to see Jesus. You know what will happen when you finally do see him? Some people think they'll get to heaven and they'll throw their arms around Jesus. Good to see a man. Pat him on the back, give him a big hug. No, things are different now. Things have changed. Remember when John saw him later? John was his bosom buddy. But after Jesus arose from the dead, John later saw him in the resurrection. And John gives us a description of Jesus. He said, His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. Now listen to what John did. And when I saw him, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. John was his bosom buddy before, but now he sees Jesus differently. High, holy, lifted up, exalted. The relationship is different. Arthur Pink has a very interesting comment about this. He actually says that Christians today, we should never refer to the Lord as Jesus. He says we need to call him Jesus Christ, or we call him the Christ. And of course, Christ means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. But he says, don't call him Jesus. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, Jesus is still my friend, and Jesus is still my Savior, and that's what his name means, Savior. His name means Jehovah is salvation. So I don't know why we can't just still call him Jesus, but I do understand what Arthur Pink is saying, and his opinion, you know, that really does bear some consideration. He's high, he's holy, he's lifted up, and Pink says maybe we shouldn't be so common with him as to call him Jesus. But I do want you to know this. When you finally do see Jesus, he is wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And when you finally do see Him, plan on doing this. 
Plan on falling at his feet as dead. Plan on worshiping him. Plan on recognizing Jesus Christ as the exalted one, as the, as the heavenly Father's exalted. So the resurrection completely changed things. But there's still one more stage that Mary went through. Can you imagine what it must have been like now knowing that Jesus was not in the tomb and knowing the body hasn't been stolen, but really Jesus has arisen from the dead? And so there's something else that she goes through. There's another stage, the confusion, the crying. That's all changed. Now she comes to step number four, stage number four, and that's celebration. I have just seen Jesus. Verse number 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Mary says, I have seen the Lord. And can you imagine what the sound of her voice must have been, the celebration that was there? How is it that you change like this? How can you change from chaos and confusion to celebration? And how do you change from despair and delight? How does a transformation like that take place in a person? You just have to see Jesus. That's how it happens. That's how you get changed. You just need to see Jesus. There's a beautiful hymn by this song. It's called, I've Just Seen Jesus. And the words of the chorus echo Mary's sentiment. They say, I've just seen Jesus. I tell you, he's alive. I've just seen Jesus, our precious Lord, alive. And I knew that he really saw me too, as if till now I'd never lived. All that I've done before won't matter anymore. I've just seen Jesus, and I'll never be the same again. Friends, today we don't come here to mourn a dead corpse. We don't come to mourn a Savior still on a cross. When you come to Bram Baptist Church, you'll see that cross over there, but you won't see a crucifix. You won't see Jesus hanging on that cross. And when you come here, you won't see Jesus in a tomb. Because Jesus is no longer on the cross and he's no longer in the tomb. Jesus is alive. And we worship a risen, living Savior. An empty cross and an empty tomb. I don't know what you're going through today. I may not be able to feel your pain. I don't know exactly what it is. But I do know Jesus knows it. He knows exactly what you have on your heart. And Jesus is able to bring you through that. Now Mary's transition... Transition was when she recognized Jesus. Some of you are looking at him, but you haven't yet recognized him. And I want you to know that Jesus is here today. Some of you recognize him and some of you don't. Some of you come to church today and you'll leave this building and you'll say, I felt the presence of the Lord there. I felt Jesus in the presence of those people as they sang praises to his name, as the sermon was preached, as the prayers went up. I felt the presence of Jesus. But some of you here today, you don't see him. You hear, but you don't see him. Nothing's changed at all. You don't recognize him. How many times have you gone to church and you haven't really seen Jesus? Mary had a turning point. And I want to say to you today that your turning point is when he calls your name and you recognize him personally. The turning point in your life will be when Jesus calls your name and you personally recognize the presence of Jesus with you. He's calling you today. Do you hear him? Are you listening for the voice of Jesus today? What is it that you're looking for? Can you see him? Did you know that he's alive? You know, the resurrection was good news on so many different levels. 
I mean, there's just so many ways that you can say the resurrection was good news for these disciples. But I think probably the best news of it all was because this news came after three terribly dark days. This news came after it looked like there was nothing but defeat. In 1815, June of 1815, Napoleon fought the Duke of Wellington at Waterloo. In those days, there, there weren't any telephones. There was no telegraph. There was no way to find out the outcome of the battle in a quick manner. And England was feared, feared greatly because if Napoleon were to defeat Wellington, that, mean that very, would mean that very soon that Napoleon would land on England's shores and then England would become a part of Napoleon's empire. Well, the battle was being fought. And... In order to relay the news of the battle, there was a man who was put at the top of the Winchester Cathedral. And he looked out over the English Channel, and he expected to receive a signal from a ship there telling them the outcome of the battle. Well, on this particular day, when the battle was fought, the fog rolled into the English Channel. Now, this man that's on the top of Winchester Cathedral, his job is to spot that signal that's given that tells the outcome of the battle. He will relay that message to a person on on a hill, and that person will relay it to another person, to another person, to another person, until the news finally reaches London. Well, on this particular day, at at the time of the battle, the fog rolled into the English Channel, and the man on the top of Winchester Cathedral could see the signal... But the signal that he got, all that he could see of it was, Wellington defeated. And so he relayed that message, Wellington defeated. From hillside to hillside, finally to London, the message went out, Wellington defeated. And all of England was plunged into despair because they thought, Napoleon's come, he's going to conquer us. But then the fog lifted, and there was the full message that could be read. And so the man saw the full message. It said, Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. And so what he did then, he relayed that message. And it wasn't long before that news reached England and all of England rejoiced. Folks, this is what the disciples learned. The message that they saw at the cross and the message they saw at the tomb was Jesus defeated. And for three days, that's all that they could see. Jesus defeated. They're in despair, confusion, they're crying. Jesus defeated. But then Mary Magdalene came running back from that tomb and she said, Jesus defeated the cross. He defeated the tomb. Jesus is alive. I've just seen Jesus. What a wonderful story she told and how their hearts became joyful because he is alive. The whole message can now be read. Now we know the whole story. Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated hell. Jesus defeated the grave. And because of what Jesus did, did you can defeat death. You can defeat hell. And you can defeat the grave. Jesus is alive. Maybe some of you haven't realized that whole story today. Maybe you haven't really seen the whole message. Jesus came out of the tomb and he's alive. And because he lives I can face tomorrow. Have you seen Jesus? I tell you, he's alive. Our precious Lord alive. I've seen him. He's high. He's holy. He's lifted up. And Jesus is alive today. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Fathers, we come to you again. 
We thank you that Jesus is alive. He's defeated the cross, defeated the tomb, defeated Satan, defeated hell. And Lord, we know that because of that great victory that he won, we can also live. Would you speak to hearts today? Maybe there's someone here who hasn't seen you. They've been coming to church, they've listened, but they haven't yet seen you. I pray, Lord, they would look fully into your face and realize that you are alive forevermore, that you are their Savior, and you can take all of their sins away. Lord, we know you know every burden, you know every heart, you know every grief, you know every problem, and Lord, you know every sin. And I ask you that people would come to you today, they would trust you today, lean wholly and totally upon you, because you're the only way that will ever be saved and ever go to heaven. Speak to people's hearts today as we sing this invitation hymn. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's please stand.